What would it look like if every child, parent, and family had equitable access to critical resources and opportunities needed to lead healthy, thriving lives and had a seat at the table to drive the solutions? Welcome to In the Arena with Now, and that's exactly what I plan to explore through this podcast, reimagining the table where local leaders can share stories and examples of how they are harnessing the strengths and resilience of their communities to ensure that children and families of color can live happy and healthy lives. I'm Rhonda Alexander, Director of Operations for the Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, an initiative of the Vital Village Network at Boston Medical Center. Now aims to build the capacity of local communities working to promote child well-being and align systems of care and education. And we do this work through the Now Learning Community and the Now Innovation Forum, which is an online platform with tools and resources to support the work on the ground. So what does In the Arena mean? Well, the concept for this podcast stems from Teddy Roosevelt's quote, The Man in the Arena. And for us, it means no longer sitting on the sidelines and waiting for someone else to do the work of changing what's not working, but rather jumping into the trenches and the unknown to create the communities we want to live and thrive in. So during each episode, we'll highlight the experiences and stories of coalitions who are in the arena, including voices from the communities they're serving and experts across the field. In this episode, we head to Boston, Massachusetts with the work of the Vital Village Network. House in Boston Medical Center, Vital Village is a network of residents and organizations committed to maximizing child, family, and community well-being. And I had the opportunity to sit down with a few members from the Vital Village Network, including staff and community leaders, to talk through what it looks like to transform health equity and child well-being from the inside of a community out. Hi, everyone. My name is LaToya, and I am a cisgendered, heterosexual, black female. And my name is Miles Green, and I'm a cisgendered white male here, and I am a co-director with LaToya of the Social Justice Mediation Program. And hi, everyone. My name is Desi or Desiree Hartman. I support the Social Justice Mediation Program. The most salient identities for me is that I'm a transnational adoptee. I'm a woman and a first-generation student, and I like to use the pronoun she, her, hers. My name is Erica Pike. I'm the Communications and Policy Manager for the Vital Village Network, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And my name is Rhonda Alexander. I am a cisgendered African-American heterosexual woman, um, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers as well. And Miles and Latoya, can you just add just a little bit of why we decided to do that? In our model of mediation, we center people's identities and all of who they are that they bring to the table. So we wanted to just lead by example. Thank you all for joining me today. Share a little bit with me about what brought you to the work of Vital Village or the Social Justice Mediation Program. I first got involved with Vital Village. I actually took the social justice mediation training, but my interest in it is that I also do work in my community. I do parent advocacy work around education, and I also run another organization that helps families navigate the school system here in Boston. 
I too took the social justice mediation training in fall of 2016. I learned about it from a colleague of mine in a course and knew that conflict resolution was kind of a field that wasn't acknowledging everyone's stories and wanted to learn a little bit more about ways to honor stories by a myriad of people in conflict. I'm with the Vital Village team and very passionate about child and family well-being from studying public health and psychology and from my own background as a transnational adoptee. And I really value community and partnerships and community-driven leadership, and Vital Village does all those things. What drew me most to the Vital Village network was the support that network members provide to community-driven solutions. So many times in public health and in working in disparities and thinking about equity, um, there's a lot of evidence-based practices and science, and this uh, really focuses the solutions and support back to the community uh, where they have and have their own ideas about what works best. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have all of you. So our guiding question for for this episode is how might we transform health equity and child well-being from the inside of a community out? And so we'll be hearing from Erica speaking about the perspective from Vital Village. We'll talk with Desi around her role in supporting coalitions and the work on the ground. And then from, from Miles and LaToya around the work that you're actually doing. And so I'd actually really like to get started with Erica. Can you tell me a little bit about Vital Village? Like, what is it and what's the goal? How did, how did it get started? Sure. So what is central to Vital Village was, is, this, is this question. What can we do together that we can't do alone? And founding director and pediatrician Dr. Renee Boynton-Jarrett set out to answer that question. She met with other folks who are thinking about child and family health like educators and other health professionals, but also families, really listening to their ideas about what works best. And so we're thinking about how to work together to improve child, family, and community well-being. In Boston, if you're not familiar with this city, we are resource-rich. However, outcomes for children and families in the city are not equitably distributed based on zip code, based on race, economics, you name it, uh, it's not equitable for children across the city. And so how we approach this is through two main mechanisms. One is through cross-sector collaboration, where we are co-designing innovations with community-based organizations and community residents and institutions while using shared data, so really important to us is making sure that we're tracking the same outcomes. And then also through community capacity building, which we've deemed our service learning and leadership pathway. And so this is really critical because once a solution is identified, how can community members scale and spread and implement their ideas? How can we as a network build on their leadership and provide learning opportunities to further the work. So all of our work is really grounded in improving child opportunity in Boston's most diverse neighborhoods, Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, with with the use of shared data and 
alongside community leaders. So we heard from Erica a little bit about community-based leadership. I'd love to turn now to the leaders of the Social Justice Mediation Program to hear a little bit more about their role in this work and how they're supporting their community. Our program, it is a, it is a mediation program, but when people ask like, why or how is it different than your typical mediation program. The social justice mediation model really takes in power dynamics into account. We take in storytelling or like hearing everyone's story is very important. Those are some of the <laughs> those are some of the big aspects of the program, but yeah. I'd also want to give mm. a shout out to Leah Wing and yeah. Deepika Maria who are two professors out of UMass Amherst yeah. in legal studies and literature respectively, and um, they founded the Social Justice Mediation Institute, and they come out to Boston every year for the Mm -hmm. past six years to give this 40-hour training over two consecutive weekends in the fall time to empower community members with the Mm -hmm. tools to approach a conflict, but with a social justice lens. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we say social justice lens, it... You you know, you look at in society that we all live in, who typically has the power and the privilege and how might that be affecting the, these interactions or disagreements that um, two individuals are having? So but let's say if you had a a middle aged white male who was someone's boss or had some positional power over someone and and the person and there was a disagreement between that man and let's say a a immigrant woman who was a non-native english speaker or something and who and he was her boss there's a power dynamic that is there naturally in their relationship with each other um and in society just in general and so we take that into account in how we listen to the story and how the mediation um is set up um so that's what we mean by social justice. Um, we really think about how, how are things playing out in the actual society that we live in and how might that be affecting this conflict? I would just add that kind of a core principle that runs throughout how we approach mediation is this idea of multi-partiality, where we acknowledge the presence of dominant narratives at the heart very often, of a conflict. So instead of being impartial or quote-unquote neutral in face of a conflict, we're meeting with the individuals involved in the conflict in an individual way so we can hear their story in a, mm-hmm. in a quote, like a safe space uh, where, they are, where they feel hopefully free and open enough to mm-hmm. share with us or, or our team of mediators the full story of what's going on mm-hmm. and we seek you know to empathize and to understand what is going on and we believe that through the work of seeking to understand um, we're going to get to the root of the problem mm-hmm. so our focus isn't so much to find a quote solution to a conflict but it's to seek but it's to seek understanding amongst the stakeholders in a conflict right and and just to explain like multi partiality, um, again, it's like the I don't know if it's the opposite 
I'm going to call it the opposite for now of being neutral, mm-hmm. where you um, where you might go into a situation where there's a mediator and they're very removed from the situation. Like, okay, I'm going to hear what you're saying, but I I'm going to act like I can't relate to anything that you're saying, or you know, we do that we do something different, which is you're in front of me. I'm hearing your story. I might have some empathy for you. I might have some sympathy for you. I might be like, I know what you, I know what you mean, but you just extend that same treatment to both disputants, not just one. And so you're not taking sides, but you're wholly there for both of them. So we've had an opportunity to gain a better understanding of the social justice mediation program. Um, And as a part of the Vital Village Network, it's supported by Vital Village Network staff. So I want to take a little bit of time to hear from staff about what does it mean for an organization to support a group like this? And what does that look like? And what does that actually mean for the leaders in the community? A couple ways we see um, Vital Village very, very connected with the social justice mediation program is that these skills, right, these conflict resolution skills, that they can be taken with whoever participates in it and taken with them wherever they go. Um, so that can be with your family and your household, that can be with colleagues at your workplace, that can be um, with your teacher in, in a school system. And so how these conflict resolution skills can help us build relationships and make our communities more resilient. And then as far as how Vital Village supports SJMP, so much of it is working alongside our community leaders. Latoya and Miles are co-directors, and I see myself very much in partnership with them in this on the same level with them. We have weekly meetings, and there's no one person leading the meeting every time. We rotate facilitation roles. We take notes, and um, we really discuss every decision um, that we make around SJMP, and we make that, that decision together. Our community leaders are not just community leaders with us, they're community leaders across um, Boston, across sectors. And so they oftentimes people who work with us have full-time jobs, have a family, have all these things. And um, we aim with kind of our coordination to alleviate that burden from folks so they can show up and be be the leaders and with that support from us. We, as a network, um, we see it as our goal to really connect our programs and initiatives with different organizations, with different people across the network. One of our goals with SJMP is to share these learnings and offerings with educators and administration in school settings and with caregivers in school settings. And with the network, we're like, okay, who do we know in the network that we can connect with? Like, what can we do to help kind of spread this work? Yeah, and and I'll just... I'll build off of that. I think um, what Vital Village does is it it really increases my capacity and gives me capacity where I don't have to be to lead in this way because uh, Desi's downplaying her role a little bit. She's a rock star. And and if it wasn't for Desi or Vital Village, I, I would not have the capacity in my life to, to do this work because I am a mom. I have other organizations and, and work that I have to do, and I would not be able to do this um, without Vital Village. So I think Vital Village for just existing to allow community members to have the capacity to do work that is really important to them personally and to the greater community um, that we wouldn't be able to do without that. In some of our work with the members of the now learning community, we've started to hear some interest around restorative justice. So we asked Miles and Latoya 
how restorative justice relates to the social justice mediation program. I mean, I think um, restorative justice would fall under the category of social justice. Restorative justice, um, you can look at it from two different ways. It's really, some people might say it's like an indigenous practice where you come together as a community when, when there's something that has gone wrong. And as a community, how do you how do you right that wrong? And that can look different depending on what community you're in. And how do you make amends for something? Circle, they do it in circle, which means that there there is no no one is above anybody else. It's in circle. Short of justice is done in community. It's building relationships so that when there is an issue or something does go wrong, you've built these relationships and as a community, you figure out how to right that wrong, whatever that wrong may be. And it's not, it cannot, it, it's not as punitive as um, maybe our justice system can be. And it's lovely when, when restorative justice is present in our legal system. Um, I wish it was more. So social justice overarchingly is how do we look at the systems and structures that our society operates in and how are they just and fair for everyone because we're all a part of um society and the justice part of that is you know how how do i make it equitable so that me and miles have the same opportunities and you know as social justice warriors I'll call us that for right now right miles okay <laughs> um we're trying to do our part in in our city here locally to increase people's capacity to to promote social justice and to and to live socially just lives i think it's similar to restorative justice in the sense that we really have an immense focus on story mm-hmm. and an immense focus on relationship and getting to an understanding amongst everybody, which from what I understand of restorative justice is, you know, I mean, it's the key as well. And we do that through an approach that be slow at times. It might take longer. In mainstream mediation, an agreement is, in an agreement, a focus on that, is often sought after in an hour. Whereas if we have a conflict happening between housemates or the board members of an organization or so on and so on, it may be weeks because we want to get to the stories that are hidden, the stories that are hidden underneath the surface that may be Mm -hmm. troublesome or challenging to talk about. And those might involve issues like race or class or gender or or physical ability. But it's those conversations that we need to unearth and speak about because those are some of the themes that are at the core of a lot of the problems that we're seeing today. Right. Yeah. A lot of those, those things that people don't want to talk about, they're like, ah. it's about perspective, you know? So my perspective could be like, you did something that you might think is, doesn't really matter that it's small, but because of my experiences, this is, this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling about it. And to really take that into account, because, you know, if you want to get to the bottom of a, even if you want to get to an agreement or not, you got to get to the, so like, why is this even a disagreement? And it's sometimes it's things that aren't on the surface, why it is actually a, a disagreement that people are having. So we've had an opportunity to hear about SJMP, which is now in its sixth year. What has the impact been? We have social workers, we have educators, we have folks who work in the court system, in the local and state government who have been a part of our training. And 
Though they may not be serving with Vital Village as mediators, they're utilizing the skills and the mindset that they learned in the 40-hour training and the, the series of workshops that we offer afterwards in their daily lives, at work, at home, in their houses of worship, where they're not to so much seeking to work through a problem in order to get an agreement, but they're seeking to understand the person across the table from them. And they're asking the questions that are going to allow them to gather a story. And it, and it, and it really is this focus on story, I believe. That's one of the true mm-hmm. gems of the social justice mediation program and how these stories are often I mean, they're often overlooked. I mean, social justice could become restorative justice if we have someone who takes our training who works in the court system, and they're now bringing this lens to how they do their work. Then this becomes restorative justice because they said, hmm, does this have to be a legal issue? Could this be something that we could solve in another way? I think about it with families. We've had parents come through, and I remember one participant goes, well, I'm just a mom. I said, what do you mean you're just a mom? As parents, you have such a big influence and impact in your children's lives. And so we have parents that come through there, and this changes how they're communicating with their children and how they're handling conflicts in their households. And so you think of, I think about the ripple effects of that, just your personal lives. I mean, a lot of people, we do have a lot of people who come through who are talented professionals, but I think it's, a one, it's wonderful that this is having impact in people's personal lives and how they're dealing with conflict just in their community. It's just a shift. I think it makes you slower to anger. It makes you slower to resort to violence or other means that are not healthy to solve a conflict that you're having. And, you know, and conflicts can look different. I mean, they could, they could be like, who keeps eating my food out the fridge? It could be, why are you coming home so late? These are just things that are in everyday life. If we think about in the community, how we are with each other. I think it it changes how we are with each other and to each other. And just to be more understanding makes your community more peaceful, I believe. Because you think, you know what, maybe they were having a bad day. And what they did might have annoyed me, but I don't need to take it that far. I can Even if you didn't have the conversation, you just might think, you know what, they may be having a bad day. I know something about what's going on in their life. And so I'm just going to let that slide today. It makes your community just a more peaceful place and when we have peace, that makes us just healthier. And and Erica would love to hear a little bit from you. What does that mean for children and health equity? And how does that tie back into the image, the vision of community that Fido Village is seeking to support? Well, this work is very relational. So if on an interpersonal relationship that that is more peaceful, imagine those ripple effects that happen in all of the places that that family goes. So we see that the impact starts with ourselves, really, right? And if we think of what we can do for ourselves and then how are we then taking what we've learned and applying it to the family and then moving into the bigger circle, our community, our neighborhood, our places of worship, our places of work, and then a little even further, right? We move out into the city and how can that ripple effect really impact not only individual family and their health and stress and which that they cope with stress, but also how are they modeling and sharing that within their neighborhoods and within their communities. Wonderful. Thank you. Anything else you just want to share with our listeners? 
And over the past few years, we've had a number of educators in the Boston public school system as well as outside. And we're really excited to focus more on working with school teachers Mm -hmm. just to increase that impact Mm -hmm. that the lessons learned from the training can have in schools for parent and for child well-being. So we're thinking about offering the mediation training perhaps exclusively to teachers in the fall and to see, you know, and to see how that goes. That's another way to just be so powerful. Like everybody with school age children is in a school like every day. And to think about how much deeper and stronger and more beneficial relationships could be with families in schools and how they could work together in interest of our children if the schools had those tools to relate to the families coming through their doors in a better way. One other thing that's coming to my mind, too, is we take a very strengths-based approach and how everyone who comes through our training, we really approach it as like you're already an existing leader in our community. And this training is just to equip you with more skills to bolster you up and to do the work that you want to do in the community. People who attend the training really add to the richness of the conversation, of grappling with social justice, of how we do this work in the community. And so one last nugget I was thinking of and about the importance and the impact of this work. I think the testament to how far that the social justice mediation program has gone and is that the investment is in the community. This is not something that we at Vital Village are are running the show. This is really built into the fabric and and vision of of what Miles and LaToya and previous community champions have really taken ownership over it. So just in terms of where where we are today compared to where we started is is really due to the success and, and investment of community members. It was such a pleasure to learn from Latoya, Erica, Desi, and Miles. I mean, I was really struck by how they're working to foster and uphold dignity as an approach to improving the overall health of their community. The Social Justice Mediation Program is creating and promoting safe spaces for people to work through conflict, I mean, and therefore building stronger relationships among members of the community. I was also really intrigued by the role um, the Vital Village Network staff plays in supporting the work being driven by the community. Their coordination and organizing provides leaders with the space and capacity to continue driving the transformation they want to see. To learn more about the Vital Village Network, the Social Justice Mediation Program, and now, be sure to visit our show notes page. Thank you again to LaToya, Erica, Desi, and Miles for spending time with me. And thank you to the Vital Village Network for your commitment to creating safe spaces for community growth and transformation. I hope you'll join us soon for the next episode of In the Arena with Now. This episode was produced by Rhonda Alexander and Diana Rivera. Edited by Diana Rivera with music composed by Morgan Breland. In the Arena with Now is sponsored by the Vital Village Network at Boston Medical Center and made possible by funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.